Today's program was brought to you by MailChimp. More than 6 million people use MailChimp to design and send email marketing campaigns. MailChimp's new automation features make it easy to provide timely, relevant information to your customers and prospects. Learn more at MailChimp.com automation. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. The job of running a successful art business can be an art in itself. Whether you're dreaming of turning your paintings into a full-time career or just trying to get started by landing a few illustration jobs and licensing contracts, the day-to-day business of running a creative career or company requires as much love and attention as the artistic side. But until recently, there weren't many formal guides, courses, or books to help people make sense of the often very complicated web of details that make up a fine art career. But today I'm thrilled to be joined in the studio by someone who has written not only a comprehensive guide to doing just that, but has lived both the ups and downs of running a successful fine art career herself, Lisa Congdon. So thanks for being here, Lisa. Thanks for having me. It's really great. (laughs) Um, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so happy I can catch you while you're in town from San Francisco. And I'm really excited to talk about your new book, Art Inc. Uh, But before we launch into that, I want to give people a little bit of your backstory. So let's start way, way, way back in the beginning and um, tell people where you grew up and how big your family was. I grew up mostly in Northern California. I moved there when I was um, eight years old in 1976 from Schenectady, New York, which is where I was born and lived the first eight years of my life. And my father got transferred. And um, my brother, who's two years older than I am, and my sister, who's two years younger than I, and my parents flew across the country and landed in San Jose, California. So we started there. And then I did most of my later elementary school, middle and high school in Los Gatos, California, which is right outside San Jose, about an hour outside San Francisco. And that's where you're based now. And you come from a very creative family. How did that shape your interests from a a young age? And um, how were your parents creative? Well, it's interesting because I didn't actually start making art even as a hobby, really, until I was about 31 years old. I'm 46 now. So it's been um, not quite two decades, but we're getting close to that. Um, But I think what sort of of primed me to, to eventually land myself as an artist was that my mother is an artist. Um, when I grew up, she was she's still a textile artist, but when I was growing up, that sort of took the form of weaving. We had this giant German loom in our house, and you know, it was very typical 70s. She made all these amazing, um, you know, wall hangings and things that now, of course, my sister and I are like, where the hell are those? <laughs> because we want to hang them in our house because, of course, they're back in vogue now. But um, And she was a super creative mom. When we were really little, she didn't work, and I remember there were lots of... Um, creative activities in our home. And what's interesting is that while none of us, none of the three of us kids went to school for formal art training, we've all ended up in creative fields. And I really do think that that's partly because of the way my mom raised us. Um, 
my brother, who's older than I am, is a landscape designer. So he did go to school for that. Um, but late, a little a bit later, my sister is um, uh, Stephanie Congdon Barnes, who some people may know from 3191, um, is a photographer and uh, makes these amazing handmade um, animals and other things. Um, she's also self-taught. And, um, and then I also you know, ended up being an artist and I'm also self-taught. So we all sort of ended up in these very creative fields, but none of us went to school for art or anything or imagined, you think when we were in our early twenties that this is what we would be doing now. What did you think you would be doing when you were little? Well, I, um, I wanted to be an archeologist when I was a kid. Um, if, if people listening know me or my work know that I'm a crazy collector of things. And my first book was about, um, all these collections that I have, um, that I photographed over the course of a year. Um, and so I've always been sort of obsessed with, with digging up treasures. Um, and when I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do. But of course, you know, I became more practical <laughs> after college and decided I was going to go be a teacher. Um, and that's actually where I started to get back in touch with my creative side because I had to, um, uh, make art activities for the kids in my fourth grade class. And that ended up being the most you know, amazing part of my curriculum or the thing that I loved the most, which I think eventually sort of guided me toward um, taking more art classes and doing more artistic things. What was that trajectory like when you sort of felt the urge to make that that transition from teaching to doing art more full time? Was there sort of a pivot point moment? Yeah, well, what happened was, um, actually, I have my brother to thank um, in some ways. Um, I was, by that point, I was working at an education nonprofit. I was no longer a classroom teacher. And this was in the early, or the late 90s, um, early 2000s, I guess. And my brother and I had both gone through sort of big breakups. He, He had gotten a divorce. I had been in a relationship for eight years. And we were both living in San Francisco. And, um, he was in this landscape design program and he had to take an elective and um he was taking it through uc extension which is a program in california where you can sort of take uh, anybody can take classes through the extension and he asked me if i wanted to take a painting class with him because he needed to take an elective and i was like okay sure you know <laughs> and um it ended up changing my whole life just this painting class and sort of launched me on this trajectory i had been sort of dabbling in other creative things at the time too and um and so, but it wasn't until about seven years later when I started, um, I had started a blog and I had joined Flickr and I, you know, which were sort of social media forms in their infancy, um, that I really figured out that this was something that, um, that I could actually start making money from. Although at that point I still did never imagine it would become my full-time career. It was very incremental. Did you, um, well, one thing I'm always curious about is that even though you were starting in your, your late thirties and you started your career, um, and you've still been doing it for quite some yeah. time now, but what do you think that you've sort of learned or brought to your work that comes from starting later in life versus starting when you were like 18? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it's, it's something that I think about a lot. Um, so when I was, um, working in the nonprofit world, part of my responsibility was project management and, um, I was, um, you know, one of several associate directors of this nonprofit, and part of what I managed were clients and projects. And I also developed curriculum for adult learning, so for teachers and principals. And um, so I got really good at getting organized because I was obviously managing several initiatives at once. Um, I was, you know, working with other adults, and I think with that sort of taught me was the importance of managing my time well, um, of really good, friendly, professional communication 
with people that I was working with. Um, and, um, you know, in, initiative taking, you know, you can't wait around for things to happen. You have to, even when you're working with other professionals, you have to take initiative. I know there are other things, but those are three that stand out. They're really good ones. They're things that I think come up a lot in people who've done something else before going into a fine art career. Yeah. Um, I, I really love that you didn't go to school for art originally. I've, I've personally like to track sort of the aesthetic changes people go through when they're went to school for art versus not going to school for art do you think that that's shaped your work like the actual aesthetics or details of your work yeah the not having gone to school I'm sure has just in the way that going to school would also shape somebody's work um but for me and I think for a lot of us who didn't go to school um we um and I'm sure this is probably true for some people who did go to school too, but I, I have this sort of spirit of adventure in my work where I, I keep changing it. I think I'm getting more settled in what I want to do, but um, I didn't go to school and, and say, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this in this style because that's what all of my you know, professors say w- is, is working or whatever. I kind of like over time, over the last you know 12 years have really... Um, you know, change, continue to change things up. It's been more consistent and steady in the last few years, but that makes a lot of sense. In some ways, I was in my own school for a while and just tried to, trying to figure out what I enjoyed doing, what I was good at, what resonated for other people. Um, and then when I started doing illustration, on, in addition to fine art, which is now a big part of what I do, um, I had to change things up even more because I was talking about, you know, we were talking about making com- commercial work, which is a bit different than fine art work, work which is more personal. Absolutely. Um, how would you describe your style currently? How do you think it's evolved, um, particularly now that illustration plays a, a big role in it? Is there a singular inspiration these days that's different than before? Um, it's so hard for me because to describe, because my work, while I feel like it's becoming more cohesive in some ways, it's, it's also sort of more diverse. Like I have, um, part of my practice is, is, is making original paintings and, and I've sort of fallen in the last few years um, in love with abstract painting and so that's sort of where I'm headed um but you know if you look at my representational work and my abstract work you'll see similar um lines and shapes and um colors and um forms that show up in both places um so even when I'm making a sort of hard-edged digital repeat pattern which is something I have to do often for my illustration work you'll see similarities even with this sort of more painterly work that I do um, and so I don't know if there's one word to describe it, but um, there are certainly like themes in my work that show up regardless of what medium I'm working in. Mm-hmm. And your affinity for neon. Yes, neon. Um, I've, I've grown um, more attached recently to neon orange over pink. Um, in fact, I was shopping yesterday in Dumbo and I was trying to choose between two necklaces and I chose the neon orange one. But yes, I still love neon. (laughs) Growing up. (laughs) Yes. Um, I I was reading an interview that you did with The Great Discontent where you said, um, I walked around in the world for a few years thinking, this all happened so fast. I don't know what I'm doing and I have no legitimacy. What's changed from then until now that's helped you gain the confidence you have now to really own your place in the art world? Well, it's funny. um, Tomorrow uh, night I'm giving a talk at Q Art Foundation in Manhattan about this very thing, this idea of ownership and how, because art is so subjective and especially for those of us who sort of like fell into the art and illustration worlds um, without any, you know, sort of formal or traditional training, we think we don't deserve to be here. We often feel like imposters or, you know, we're sort of mystified by the way it all works. And years later, having sort of figured 
out the way that it works, both by talking to people and by personal experience. I have, um, I've really learned that, you know, I don't know that, that I, that I have a place. Um, and that, you know, all of these ideas I had about what other people thought about me were actually just in my own head. Um, and that, you know, this idea of sort of owning what you do and owning your place, even, even owning the, you know, the self-taughtness or the, you know, the fact that I didn't start making art until I was older, like instead of seeing that as something that was, um, adversarial in my, in my journey, that it was actually something that was going to help me, um, be unique or, um, or manage my career in a, in a, in a potentially better way than I could have when I was younger. So I've grown to sort of really embrace and appreciate all of those things that at one point in the beginning, I felt made me uh, an outsider. I'm glad. I think that sets you up for the book that you just released. Yeah. I think coming from that, from being like just, you know, at least not 18 and right starting your career then, I think being able to look back and recognize all the different jobs that you've done have really added such incredible skills to your list. Well, and also the time that I started making art, um, you know, I, I often lamented when I was first starting out, oh, why didn't I figure this? I Now I, fig- I figured out what I want to do. Like, why didn't I figure this out when I was in my 20s? But things would have been so different because the time that I figured it out was also the time that the internet was exploding and that has contributed to, you know, why I've been successful because, you know, there's been this new way that I could promote and share my work that didn't exist before. Um, and in the past, you know, these traditional channels that people had to go through were really important. They're less important now. Um, and that's good news. So absolutely. I'm going to ask you one last question before we go to a break. Um, I love to find out about people's support systems because I think they're the most powerful thing or one of the most powerful things we have to support us in any creative career. What are your biggest support systems in your life right now that sort of keep you going and support you in your process? Um, well, I would say, you know, it's sort of, um, there's a multitude. Um, you know, I have my, my wife who's a great support to me. I think that if you don't, if you're not in a relationship, finding you know, some friends or close friends who, who really can be your cheerleader and really sort of both give you honest feedback when you need it, but also, um, support you because being a working artist can be a very lonely experience. So I also have a a number of friends who I rely on for that. I have an agent, Lilla Rogers, who, um, she manages my, my illustration career and, um, or at least the sort of negotiations of the contracts and helping me figure out if a certain job is right for me. And her staff is really great, and I find them to be tremendously helpful. Um, and then I have other sort of mentors, like people have been doing this a lot longer than I have and have also gone through traditional channels who have been incredibly helpful in terms of, you know, when I first experience something, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I call them up and they are there always. And that's important. So finding those people is really important. Mm-hmm. And you're now about to become one of those people. For <laughs> I a already lot, have. <laughs> for a lot of people. So we're going to take a very quick break and I'll be back with Lisa Congan to talk about Art Inc. We're proud to be co-hosting The Silver Snail, 25 years of slow food with Slow Food USA and Roberta's Pizza. It's been 25 years since Carlo Petrini and a group of activists lost a peaceful revolution to defend regional traditions, good food, gastronomic pleasure, and a slow pace of life. The slow food movement has since evolved into a comprehensive approach to food that recognizes the strong connections between plate, planet, people, politics, and culture. Today, this movement involves thousands of projects and millions of people in more than 160 countries worldwide. 
Join us for a dialogue between Slow Food founder Carlo Petrini and locavore activist Alice Waters as they reflect on the evolution of the food movement and all things slow. RSVP by clicking the banner on our website. And that's Friday, October 3rd, 11.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. This episode of After the Jump is supported by MailChimp. More than 6 million people use MailChimp to design and send email marketing campaigns. MailChimp's new automation features make it easy to provide timely, relevant information to your customers and prospects. Instantly send welcome emails, product recommendations, special offers, and more. Segmentation, personalization, automation, all in one. Learn more at MailChimp.com slash automation. Hey, and welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're talking about the business of being an artist with artist and author, Lisa Congdon. Before the break, we were talking about your history and how you became a full-time artist, but I really want to talk about the book you just released, Art, Inc., The Essential Guide for Building Your Career as an Artist. Um, first of all, I'm so glad you're continuing the Inc. series uh, that Chronicle and Meg Mateo have been doing. Uh, for anyone unfamiliar with the series, it's a really wonderfully practical and affordable series that tackles everything from being a creative freelancer to blogging to being a working mom. So this new addition to the series devoted to building a fine art career is a much needed and welcome addition. Um, and when I think about this book, I'm reminded so much of the book that you just released this summer as well. You, I don't know where you find the time to do all these books. <laughs> and I'm working on two more uh, as we speak. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Um, and you wrote an illustrated list, or you illustrated a list of 100 inspiring quotations called whatever you are be a good one and i yes. think that whole idea sort of underlies the the ink series so um let's talk about why you decided to sit down and write this book now well meg mateo alasco who um I've, has been a friend of mine actually for a number of years i've been included in some of the other books that she's written none of the ink books but a couple of the other books um approached me in 2012 and um I was about to leave on a month-long solo adventure to Scandinavia, and I remember she, she approached me and was like, do you want to do this? I need the answer before you leave on your trip. <laughs> and I was like, okay, because um, I really did want to think about it. I knew enough people who wrote books, and I wanted to, and I, you know, that to know, I knew enough people who had written books to know that it's not easy, right? It's this very sort of time-intensive process and editing can feel very grueling, um, especially when you're working with somebody who's sort of nitpicking about your work, um, which is a very important part of the process. Um, and so the question I ultimately came down to was, if I say no, am I going to regret this <laughs> someday? Like if somebody else writes this book, will I wish it, it had been me? Um, and the answer was yes. Like I, and of course, you know, there are parts of me still even who are like, who am I, right? Who am I to write this book? Um, and But the more I talk to Meg and the more I talk to the folks at Chronicle who are interested in having me be the author, the more I realize that I did have a unique perspective and that for the parts of both, you know, the book is both about a f being a fine artist and also an illustrator. So all the different ways that you can make an income as an artist and, and that for those areas that I didn't know necessarily very much about, um, like the sort of high-end gallery world and certain areas that I haven't delved into, that I could just interview people who knew a lot about those things. And that that was a big part of the book was, was me telling other people's stories. Um, and, 
And once I realized that it didn't all have to be about my own experience, that while that was important, I could use other people made me, you know, fully, fully on board with writing the book. And, and then we sort of started writing it um, in the beginning of 2013. And when did you turn in the manuscript? Well, it's um, I turned it in, I think, um, like in September or October of last year. So about a year ago. And then there was a sort of back and forth editing process that took a number of months. Um, it's never over the minute you turn the manuscript yeah, exactly. in. Exactly. So um, it was a very long and grueling process. But by the end, I felt really happy and proud. But there were moments during the process when I was definitely breaking down in tears. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I've, I've read the book and I've read the entire Ink series. And the first thing I always think about or that I get, I, I get asked about when I talk about these books, because I recommend the whole Ink series to people all the time, is people always wonder why the people writing them would give away, like, all their secrets yeah. in one book. Were you concerned at all about sort of giving away things that maybe you don't tell everybody else? No, I think that we, it's really important to build a supportive community. And I feel like the spirit of generosity that I benefited from um, among other artists and people in the art world is what brought me where I am. And um, uh, my agent, Lila Rogers, always says, you know, what's what's good for one is good for all. And that if we can actually you know, empower each other as artists by supporting each other and sort of take this element of competition out of the equation, um, that we're all going to benefit from it. Like if we live in a world where the starving artist myth, for example, no longer exists at some point, um, or where, you know, people feel empowered to, you know, figure out how to make money from doing what they love. Um, which, by the way, is very hard work. It's not easy. Um, that the world is going to be a better place. And so I, I don't see, there's no threat to me in terms of sharing. You know, I do hesitate sometimes when I'm teaching art classes to share <laughs> my, my personal art techniques, but my business advice feels very different, um, very different, because I feel like there's room for everybody to, to figure stuff out. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to give a quick rundown of some of the topics that are in here because I want to talk about some of them. Um, The book covers a billion different things, but some of them are you're defining um, how to set actionable goals, diversify income, manage bookkeeping, how to copyright your work, promoting with social media, building a website, dealing with galleries, selling and pricing, which is a big, big issue, licensing, getting an agent and a million other topics. How did you sort of narrow down what you were going to cover? Did you work on that sort of a rubric with Meg or did you sit down and figure it out? Well, we started off um, by writing a big outline, um, which of course changed a bit, although we ended up pretty much sticking to it. Um, And the outline is essentially the table of contents. I was actually kind of surprised at the end how um, only a few sort of subtopics had changed, but in general, the chapters, we changed the order of some of them. Um, when I turned the manuscript in, it was 50,000 words. Oh my God. And um, the book could only be for sort of page requirements mm-hmm. and printing requirements, only 30,000 words. So you can imagine it already is jam-packed with information, how much more was in there. Um, a lot of the sort of personal stories and nuances needed to get cut. Um, but, you know, I think and in some ways that's good because you want to really get down to the essential information. And these were the things that I personally felt mystified by when I first started started out or things that I tripped over periodically. And um, and those that's sort of what sort of helped develop the the table of contents um, or my own personal experience. And then we did add a couple subtopics while I was interviewing people. People mm-hmm. would say. Um, mention something and I'd say, oh my gosh, we have to add this 
a, a paragraph or two at least about this particular topic. Um, so I learned a lot from talking to people as I was even writing the book. Yeah, I love the sort of side interviews and tips you include from a huge range of artists. Um, was there any piece of advice that came from a contributing artist um, that sort of stood out the most to you or something that you took home with you that maybe you learned while writing the book? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think that it, she wasn't actually an artist. She's a gallery owner in San Francisco. Her name's Jessica Silverman. And, um, you know, I, I am sort of the most mystified by the fine art world, the sort of higher end fine art world, um, more than the other world. And it's because I, I you know, while I, I've even been in a museum show and I've shown my work in galleries um, across the country, like I have, I'm not, I'm sort of not in, enmeshed in that world. And so when I went to interview her, I was so curious what she was going to say about, you know, tips for people to sort of break into to the fine art world and get signed by a gallery. And and one of the things that she said was that, you know, this sense of community of like showing up, like being present. Um, for example, you know, if you if you are interested in showing with a particular gallery, like make sure you go to that gallery's openings and understand as much as you can about the kind of work that they show or, you know, things like that, that really had shaped my career, but I hadn't really thought of them as explicit things that I needed to tell other people to do. Right. And that she was like, actually, it's really important to show up. It's really important to build your community and make connections with people. Um, and that wasn't something that I had thought about. And it ended up being really a sub theme in the entire book. Mm -hmm. So that was a good one. Another the thing that really hit home with me when I read from start to finish was the sort of sense of drive underneath everything. And I think <laughs> I know you personally, and I feel like that's something I've always associated with you is this sort of very strong drive to do what you love and to be good at it. And it's something that I think everyone looks up to um, about you in particular. But what do you think drives you most as an artist when it comes to creating a successful business? And I wonder, does your past as a competitive athlete resonate there <laughs> at all? Yeah, it's funny. Like earlier I said, take the word vocabulary or take the word competitive out of your vocabulary. Um, I mean, to, there's, to a certain extent, I think that there is a sense of, like, um, not necessarily competition with other people, but competition with myself to sort of excel at whatever I do. Um, and Grace is referring to um, my past as a competitive swimmer. And um, and I do think there's something about me that, you know, I've always been pretty driven. And what's interesting is that I worked, I had this career in nonprofit education before I became an artist. And while I did very, you know, I, I was pretty accomplished in my in my career. I, I I think part of what changed for me when I became an artist and sort of even up to the ante more was that I was finally doing something that I was really passionate about. I had some passion for what I was doing before, but nothing compared to this. And so there is this probably what comes naturally to me is this desire to do well and and be seen as you know as somebody who is successful, but also um, that I was getting up every morning and like felt this sense of like, um, satisfaction and, um, I don't know, like love for what I got to do that I had never experienced before in my life. So the combination, um, you know, I've, I think has contributed a lot to what I do, mm -hmm. you know, I like that you just mentioned success and satisfaction in the same sentence. Um, cause one of the last things I want to ask you about is what does success mean to you right now? Um, so right now I've, I've sort of hit this point where I have a ample opportunity. Um, and so my definition is actually changing so that, you know, I can, I have worked so hard in the last seven years, particularly in the last four years, 
um, to build my client list and to build bodies of work and to get my work into the world. And um, I'm never one to coast. I will never rest on my laurels, but I feel like in this next phase of my life, and I feel like 2015 is going to be an experiment in this, of like relaxing a little bit and actually enjoying my success, um, maybe saying no to a few more opportunities so that I have, um, I, don't, I don't believe balance really exists, but that I have some sense of, um, of relaxation more often than I do now, as hard as I work, or them, that I'm enjoying other aspects of my life and not just my career, because I actually feel like my career will thrive more the more I'm enjoying my life in general. Um, because, you know, sometimes working super hard all of the time it's just not sustainable. And so, um, I sort of aspire to like success for me now means enjoying where I've come and, um, and just sort of relaxing into it a little bit. It's a good, it's a good place to stop. I want to ask you a couple quick rapid fire yes. questions before we go. Um, so there's just five and don't think okay. too hard about them. Okay. What's the first website you load every morning? Um, Gmail. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who do you look look up to when times are tough? Uh, My mother. What's a brand that you can't get enough of, of anything? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm thinking too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Food, clothing, design, Um, anything. Oh, uh, see, I'm blanking out now. Oh, well, right now I'm a little bit obsessed with... Um, Micron pens and I have a partnership with Sakura of America and they just keep sending me things and I just keep <laughs> drawing with them and I'm and I'm pretty obsessed with them That's good what's your favorite Instagram feed or trend um oh gosh whose feed feed do I love um uh my friend uh Troy Litton he is a he's a graphic designer and photographer and his um his Instagram feed is is amazing he's a world traveler and um and he sort of takes really interesting pictures of min- very mundane things and makes them look really beautiful. Recently, he traveled all over um, Eastern Europe. And um, I really love following travel feeds um, because I am a, 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 you know, somebody who loves to travel. And, I'm, and when I can't be traveling, I like to look at pictures of, of other <laughs> places. Uh, the last question is, what is a, or who is a person, a place, or a thing that you hope makes it big this year? Oh gosh, um, I have a tremendous amount of, um, uh, I don't know, I get a tremendous amount of inspiration and I have so much respect for um, this young artist named Emily Proud. She um, actually, I got to know her because she came to work for me as my studio assistant for a while and um, and things really have um, grown for her. She's a watercolor artist and her work is really phenomenal and um I think that something big is going to happen for her very soon, and I really hope that it does. I agree with you very wholeheartedly. Um, Lisa, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, And um, I'll see you again tonight. For those of you listening, you can join Lisa and I for part two of this interview and a book signing uh, of Lisa's new book, Art, Inc. You can join us at Powerhouse in Dumbo tonight from 7 to 9 p.m. It's at 37 Main Street in Dumbo. You can get all the details for the event at powerhousearena.com, and you can visit Lisa online and check out her blog at lisacongdon.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.